all, this is where Texas politics gets interesting. Here again are two guys named Jason, some great guests, and cold Texas beer for another smart conversation on Yolitics, the unofficial political podcast of Texas. Hey, everybody. Uh, a first for us uh, this week on Yolitics. We are in an old stadium that used to uh, be baseball central. I mean, yeah. we have to, you know, at least give a nod to what has happened here in Texas. We've got a team in the World Series. If you're listening from the Houston area or if you love the Astros, I'm sorry, it's not your team this time. Well, it there, is the there Texas was a Rangers. World Series played here. We're the yeah. old uh, Globe Life Field. Globe Life Park. Globe Life Park. Which is now called Choctaw, Choctaw Stadium. Choctaw Stadium. It's, it's the one without the roof on it. But what? there's a World Series played here a few years ago. Just what, 2011? 2011? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Rangers Giants? Rangers? Yeah, a couple. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I, I think so. So our, our guest today is Bud Kennedy from the Fort Worth Star-Telegram. Bud's a longtime columnist over there. If, if you don't know this, I, I, you know, I, maybe people do know this because he was just speaking about this. Bud doesn't only cover politics. <laughs> Bud has an equal-sized audience in food. Yeah. It's the Eats, E-A-T-S beat, mm-hmm. the Eats beat, which I think is probably better than politics. Yeah. Well, it has more readers than politics sometimes, <laughs> particularly when uh, they're talking about what we're talking about today, probably. Well, it's kind of the, Wouldn't it, you rather talk about barbecue? We I, could talk about barbecue. I yeah. would. I would. I, I think it brings more people together than politics, that's yeah. for sure. Well, that's what, that's what people who hate me will still tell me where to find good ribs. And, and Bud, uh, I, I love that you brought, uh, you know, we always have a, a Texas crowd craft beer here on the podcast. I love that you brought 12 beers uh, for us to sample here, uh, and these are all Fort Worth. Well, I'm a couple short. We've got 14 constitutional <laughs> amendments, so you brought a couple too. I mean, Put we're going to have to have one. The, the so. podcast won't be that long, but tell us where these are from. These are these are great beers. These are from uh, Martin House Brewery in Fort Worth, Who and Martin people know Martin House because they have the pickle beer, and this is the pickle beer right here that is known, if I can get the, it. The best made pickle, Best made sour pickle beer. That's yours. That's yours. And, no. then, and then here's here's a regular Bach. This is one of their serious beers. Uh-huh. But I, seri- I didn't know they had serious beers. Serious beers. They have a lot of novelty beers, but they find this. Toadies, Texas Bach. They have like a Dairyland creamy IPA. They uh, have huh. something uh, that's a flavor of buttered waffles here. Oh, for your, my. For your wow. breakfast okay. beer. They have... Here's your, um, your breakfast Here's your beer. special, uh, instead of pumpkin spice, here's your pumpkin stout. <laughs> That's pumpkin smash. stout. Yeah. Pumpkin I will stout. try that. Yeah. I do like a good stout. Fruits and, and vegetables and, and beer, actually, then Wheeler would drink it. If you can, if you oh, can get and, a fruit And in then there. I'll pull this other one out. This is for, uh, this is for uh, Day of the Dead. This is the La Paloma Grapefruit and Agave. Oh, my God. Oh, I bet you're... it sounds pretty good. Uh, that sounds good to me, too, though, yeah, the grapefruit so, and agave. Well, how many yeah. are you going to drink for this episode? I don't know. Yeah. I might have to have several. Uh, you know, but I would have given you let's my, I would have given you oh, my yeah, corporate card. Yeah, there's strawberry card. margarita. There's more. I would have given you my corporate card number and had you bring some of that good barbecue that you know of, too, uh, if I had thought about it, because you know where all the places are. Uh, there's plenty between Fort Worth and Arlington. I'd yep. bring it right away. <laughs> but, but you skipped over some of the good ones at Martin House. Oh, the funny for. ones, yeah. So, yeah, apple pie beer. You need this that. Apple sour with graham crackers, marshmallow, and lactose. How can you? You pass it up. Miss Marmalade, <laughs> fruity sour ale with lactose and citrus, uh, strawberry margarita, which my wife makes fun of me for having, having uh, those. For drinking types. strawberry margaritas. Yeah, but I, I might have one since we. Uh, Y'all are already behind. Yeah, already see, started. there you what go. What are you having, bud? Did well, you want the strawberry see. margarita? Yeah, let's see. That's. I think I got another one here. Let's see. Uh, maybe I'll have. I'll try the, the serious beer there. I'll oh, try another one. 
Me gusta agave and guava sour ale. That sounds actually pretty good. And sounds where like is going to make it pucker? So yeah, that that ought to do something. So, where where is Martin House too? It's Martin House is just east of downtown, off of East Fourth. So when you're coming out of Sundance Square, if you if you or you go down on 280, if you take the other street that goes straight across 35, it's in the Warehouse District, east of downtown, off Sylvania. Hmm. They have a great uh, you know a tap room and everything. Great place to have yep. events and. Good. And, uh, you know, that's where you find a lot of Star Telegram reporters more so than in the office. <laughs> <laughs> I can see that. Yeah. Bud's dishing the secrets. Working. He hasn't, have a, hasn't had a beer yet here. Working the beat. Well, um, I, I should have brought, I, I should have assigned one for each you should have. Today. What I should have uh, said this is the appropriate beer. Because as Bud said, we are going down the list of amendments that are on the November ballot, uh, which you know Pretty is good. also the October ballot, by the way. You can early vote already. Uh, it's so, underway, yeah. so get out there and, and make your voice heard. Um, the reason that we're going down these, though, Bud, is uh, A, they're always terribly written. Terribly written. Oh my to gosh. the point where you know, you're standing there in the booth and you're going, I'm, I'm familiar with this issue and I'm still right. not familiar whether I say yes or no to this because there were so many twists and turns in this run-on sentence that I have no idea what exactly I'm supporting or denying here. And then on top of that, these affect every single person in this state. I mean, there's, there's some things on here that really touch a lot of lives. And yet when we first sat down here, you said we were brave to do an episode on this. I mean, I, and people I know want to know, the, the most important thing is that people will Google they'll want to go vote and they'll say how do i vote on the texas constitutional amendments this is something they'll find and watch to find out more about it for straight information but it's not you know it's not as much fun as drinking beer the the ballot that you talked about i looked at the sample ballot the just simply the uh, tax plan constitutional amendment takes up one whole column it's like for property taxes top to bottom on property taxes to read that column and digest what that's really supposed to mean. And that's why it's important to have shows that explain what all this really means and what the positives and negatives are mm -hmm. before you go vote. So we're gonna get through each of these 14 amendments and, and maybe 12 beers here, it depends on how long <laughs> this podcast goes. But you pointed out something great that I never thought about, Bud, and that is Texas has one of the longest constitutions in the United States. And it's about to get longer with these 14 proposed amendments that people are voting on right now. Yeah, you know, we talked about that. I looked up Alabama has a longer constitution. Southern states in general tend to legislate by constitutional amendment and have since Reconstruction. But, uh, you know, Texas has 517 amendments, mm -hmm. not nearly as simple as the U.S. Constitution. Right. So it's about the, the Texas Constitution is about a, a third as long as the Bible. So if you wanted to sit down and read it. You know what's interesting, And, and too, if we was... pass these, it goes to 531. So let's wow. activate the scoreboard here at Choctaw State. <laughs> Does it go up that high? <laughs> you know, I, I, it's interesting because right now, Texas and California are neck and neck for the most amendments to their constitutions. Okay. This puts Texas ahead if these... Uh, actually go through and they add these to the books it looks like so uh we'll have the longest list of amendments to the constitution which is interesting because you you always hear about it at the federal level like no you know you can't change the constitution it, right. it, it seems like it just never changes we do it all the time but statewide boy it's it's every 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 other year if el paso yeah. county needs a special district let's get that on the ballot yeah <laughs> let's put it in the constitution and, and you look at this list and these are all for different reasons some of them are are really needed 
you know, some of them are like politically advantageous, mm. and some of them are kind of to make the author look good in the election next well, March. Well, there are 14 here. Let's dive into them. I'm sure okay. people are, are tired of us talking about beer and, uh, and and the politics of it. So there are 14 total amendments on here. The first one, let me get to it here. This is the agricultural one. Yeah, this is this is agriculture. Mm-hmm. Uh, I- explain what this is, bud, uh, and and you know I don't want you to get people tips on voting for or against right. it, but, but well, what is this? Well, I'll just say this is probably the most uh, controversial of all the amendments. So mm-hmm. We start out with the one where there are uh, you know hotly debated sides. Prop 1 is called the, the right to farm, right to ranch, mm-hmm. and it basically says that uh, the city, that no government can mess with your right to run your farm and run your ranch, run your... Uh, your own property, but your own operation mm-hmm. the way you choose. And that includes the way you handle <clears throat> farm animals, the way you deal with wildlife. This is going to have a lot of repercussions too, isn't it, in suburban and exurban areas around these big cities? Because that was specifically sort of mentioned here that, you know, urban areas are expanding here in Texas and they don't want local governments to be able to say, uh, hey, Mr. Wheeler, you can't have your goats out there and you can't have your rows of crops planted because we're trying to, you know, have a subdivision around you. You're in the city and you can't have your chicken farm anymore. (laughs) But it's also, I mean, the people who've raised concerns, and of course, let's talk about who's for it first. Obviously, farmers, ranchers, Farm Bureau, strong lobby in the state, generally for it. It's authored out of Cleburne by Representative Burns from Cleburne mm-hmm. in Johnson County. And and what it says is that the local authority can't intervene unless there's, quote, an imminent danger, unquote. Hmm. So even not a long-running hazard if you're dumping waste or something, that's not an imminent danger. Hmm. So it is really tight. The people who are against it, I, I notice, are ASP, ASPCA, Animal Welfare, people who are worried about the treatment of wildlife, the treatment of farm animals. And there are just people who think it's real redundant that, you know, the obviously the legislature has shown no hesitancy in restricting cities from what they can do on a thousand things. The legislature can just pass a bill. Mm-hmm. But in this case, they're trying to look good to the farm vote by saying, we're going to put this in the Constitution. Mm-hmm. And there's also some people, I guess, in the local control camp who go, you know, here you are tying the hands of, of local authorities to be able to, you know, determine what is best for their areas. Well, you know. two-thirds of lawmakers said, let's do that. Let's put it on the ballot. Mm-hmm. But it is the most controversial. I'd say 1, 3, and 13 probably have the most controversy, and we'll get to those. Yeah. Which way is one going to go on, on Election Day, November 7th? I, I don't – I mean, it's real tough to imagine – that any of these would fail. When people go in, they generally go in kind of because they're told to go in and vote and to support just them. troop their way. There are always a few people who are cranky and go in and say, I'm going to vote against everything. Mm-hmm. But mostly the people who don't like them are not going to get up and go vote. Hmm. So with a strong farm vote and the strong rural vote, I would think that that'll pass. Though we have seen in the past that, you know, some of these do get voted down, even when people were in a yes mood on all of the other ones by big wide margins. Uh, let's skip to uh, Prop 2 here and, and talk about uh, th- this. You know, there's several in here that have to do with uh, ad valorem taxes, property taxes, and this is one of them. Uh, this has to do specifically with child care centers uh, being able to exempt more of their property or a, a huge portion of their property, if not all of it, uh, from uh, 
the, the property taxes there uh, for a municipality. Uh, how big of a deal is this, But A lot of these centers have, have struggled a lot during COVID-19 to stay open, and, and that's sort of the thinking behind this to sort of give them a break so that people can work and have a place to drop off their kids. Well, you know, like you said, some people say well, there's too many tax breaks. This is one of the tax breaks on the ballot. But the, uh, the, uh, they want to just put child care on the same level as public schools of being uh, tax exempt. The CARES Act money is expiring. The child care centers are, are you know, need to you know balance about and the rent has gotten so expensive they can't operate some places uh, but on the other side when you exempt somebody from taxes mm-hmm. somebody else always has to pay yeah this is senator west bill from dallas a democrat who put it on the ballot to help inner city child care so those who oppose it would say uh, i'm a homeowner and at some point uh that's yeah. th- that bag is going to be held by me i'm going to be right. the one who ends up having to make up the revenue that's lost we can't give you and you and you exemptions because then we all pay Here's my question on this, though. It, it, it sounds good on, on paper, but what are, you know, is there anything in here that requires daycare centers, child care centers to pass that savings along to, uh, to parents? Because child care is super expensive, as anyone you know, who has young kids knows. And if my child daycare center is, is getting a discount on, on taxes, do they have to pass that along? Jason, there is not even anything requiring a landlord to pass it along to a child care center who's a tenant. So the right. child care center may not even see a dimes break out of this if they're not a, a, a landowner, which, you know, the child care centers usually are renters and not landowners. It's not considered good investment to own real estate. So uh, they, they don't have to pass it down to the child care center. Mm. The child care center doesn't have to pass it on to you. So whether it has any actual impact, if it passes, remains to be seen. Landlords love it. Yeah, indeed so. Prop three is the wealth tax. This is the one that I would have put my money on to be the most controversial. Well, you don't want this to pass, Wheeler, because of your wealth, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, this is dripping, dripping with money. All right. Uh, so, so, yeah, so tell us. So uh, Representative Cole Hefner from East Texas uh, is, is behind this. This seems like a lot more political posturing than anything, but this is, well, the main thing about this is that nobody is trying to tax wealth. Mm-hmm. This is not about taxing income. This is just about levying a tax on how much money you have, how much wealth you have. There have been bills to do it in California, New York, a couple of other states. They didn't pass. Nobody in Texas, even the most liberal members of the legislature, have never even you know, filed a bill proposing this. But this is something that the legislature says, we need to stamp this out right now. You know, so so wh- uh, why, though? What's the point of it? So they can run on it or what? Yeah, they can say, you know, we, we protected your wealth. We, we prevented Texas from having a, having a wealth tax forevermore. So we can't be like California and New York, though. We can't be a liberal woke state that has a wealth tax. I, I wonder, though, how this sits with, you know, regular everyday people, though, too. You know, uh, sometimes those proposals to, to tax the rich do sit well with, with regular everyday people. And, and how will they feel about, you know, making sure that the wealthy don't face an additional tax? Well, I think it's worded in such a veiled way that that won't really come across that people have that option. But the main arguments are just Texas would never do this. We don't need this amendment. It's a waste of time. It's a vanity bill for political purposes. And it doesn't even prevent a wealth tax. It basically just makes it so that the legislature has to come to voters again down the road if they want to create a wealth tax. Right. And, And which won't happen. Prop four is the big kahuna on here. Yeah. Yes. And, and this this is the one about property taxes. So we, we saw the legislature fight over this for a while. They finally uh, decided to use a, a big chunk of the surplus right. um, to, to lower our property taxes. I got my property tax appraisal and it, it's lowered by a, a you know a, a big chunk. I was surprised by that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but here's my question on this. The, 
in order for this to, the legislature said, okay, we'll pass this, but voters, you have to approve it so we can lock it into the Constitution. Right. I have a couple of questions on this. I, I, I can't imagine people Bud voting against it. Beer, yeah, I think. I'm trying get, to get, my, get what you want, he, Or is this, have, uh, did you already finish the first one? No, I, I didn't. Oh, okay. I didn't. I'm just going to try the, he's sampling. I'm going to try the hazy IPA. <laughs> it's here. a flight the, now. The sour beer is a little sour. Yeah, so, so you're I'm, puckering. I'm, I'm not as sour about this amendment. <laughs> <laughs> who is sour about this? But there are people who are sour about it. Here's my first question. What happens if this does not pass then by, oh my, by chance if this uh, i can't imagine this not passing but yeah. this is what everything was built on yeah. and argued out in the last session the negotiations the house hammered it in you know homeowners uh, increased the exemption to a hundred thousand dollars you know uh, on a home that's worth three hundred thousand dollars which you know is middle of the road these days mm-hmm. you save fifteen hundred dollars a year mm-hmm. uh, and also there's a temporary appraisal cap for business so there's some for something for business and for homeowners mm-hmm. uh you know the question is who's against it i guess it's just people who are worried about exemptions and worried about uh you know giving the i mean maybe somebody who's resentful and says well why should the little people get such an exemption but my house is worth a lot more. I didn't get an exemption. That sounds like we Or were. perhaps, you know, renters uh, out there might not be happy. Renters, because, terrible, yeah. As you said, uh, you know, a lot of times this doesn't trickle down from a landlord, you know, to, to cheapen your rent. And, and so you don't really, you know, get a benefit out of this. And we know that there are a lot of renters in this state. Uh, and, and so that is sort of a wild card in this as well. Uh, you know, one of the things that I've heard from some people, too, is they feel like, they're worried that school districts are getting stiffed here. So the way that this actually works, though, is the the state had a huge surplus this time around, and they said, what we're doing is we're essentially buying down your school property taxes. So you're going to, you know, you're going to net a big savings on your school property taxes, and we're going to send that money that you would have sent directly to the school districts. So they're not going to suffer out of this either. The question is, Bud, you know, how do you keep that going into perpetuity, you know, session after session after session, you're not always going to have a record surplus to play with. Well, this doesn't fix any of the school funding problems. It just kind of dumps some more money in them for a little while. And I think everybody knows that. But this, you know, and and the question is, well, how much of this money even will wind up going to the schools? We're not sure that, that a lot of it will wind up. I think it's strictly about, you know, cutting people's taxes, fulfilling the promises by the lieutenant governor primarily of you know saving people on their property taxes and then on the other side the promises by the speaker of saving businesses too and getting businesses on the safe. Well they knew they had to do something because Texas has some of the highest property yeah. taxes in the country. Yeah, some of the highest indeed. So if I, if I support this bud and I'm a homeowner and I want to lower my property taxes and and confirm everything that the legislature did, how should I vote on this? For it? I should vote for it. Well, I think and, and I have not reviewed the exact language. I think there's some very good language in here about the over 65 exemptions mm-hmm. that uh, makes them more automatic and that you don't have to, uh, yeah, they're not as complicated and they carry over. I think there's some very good language helping senior citizens like me with their property Maybe a tax. smart move there, too, because we, we know who votes reliably, uh, especially right. in these off-year elections. More than 50% of the vote. You know, and I did, uh, I, I've been doing some work on this uh, for some, you know, a, a money franchise that I do. Shameless uh, plug, go ahead. You know, go it's ahead. called Right on the Money. Yeah. 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 Where, where can we uh, get this? Dot where com. can we watch this? Yeah, right on, uh, WFAA.com slash Right on the Money. Or just follow me at Jason Wheeler TV on Facebook, Twitter, or Thread. We'll, we'll or be threads. back in just a moment. Uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> so, so, you know, we've been following this and the math, you know, we were trying to do the math on this and there were so few details with the math on how this works out for seniors and disabled people who, you know, have uh, the ceiling on, on their properties. And none of the math added up, you know, we just kept doing it and doing it and doing it. I was consulting with uh, someone at a central appraisal district. I was consulting with a lawmaker's office. Nobody could figure this out. And finally, they you know, started speaking back and forth between Senator Betancourt's office, who is the author of this tax legislation, okay. and the lieutenant governor's office. And here they here said, comes the question, bud. Stand by. And they said, this actually works out to where a lot of seniors are going to notice that their school taxes yeah. go to near zero or zero. And we were just like, really? Okay, send me the formula on that. How are you getting to that? And they sent the formula over, and sure enough, it looks like it can do that. And I checked with just one county has emailed me back so far, Dallas County, and they said that they are preliminarily here seeing a huge jump in the number of people who are going to zero in their school district taxes, a huge jump in seniors and disabled people uh, who are seeing that. And like so, you said earlier, that means that the rest of us are going to have to make that up at some point. There is where, that where is that money going to come from? Every time you give the senior citizens a break, you know, it's the younger people who have to pay it. You're welcome, bud. You're, you're welcome. <laughs> uh, hey, uh, on Wait, this. one more thing on that. Go, oh, go I'm ahead. still on Prop 4 as well. One. No, I'm not going go to. Uh, this is the big one here. So the University of Houston did a poll on this uh, earlier this month, and they found that 56% of likely voters intend to vote for this. 61% uh, of homeowners will vote for Proposition 4. 47% of renters will vote for Proposition 4. I was surprised that only 56% of likely voters uh, yeah, are going to vote for I don't this. know whether they 61% of homeowners. I don't know whether they use the proposal, but that proposal is so mind-boggling when mm. you see it. The language in this. The language, the, uh, the column deep language. It's, uh, it's You would look at it and say, I don't know what this is, but I probably ought to vote against it. Let me ask a question I was, was going to save for later. You brought it up earlier, though. Who, who in the hell writes these things? Oh, my gosh. I mean, I why can't they have someone write this? Have a normal person yeah. write these, and there are states where they have the amendments have to be written in plain language. But mm -hmm. who writes but these? In though? Texas, the lawmakers these are or the staffers? lawmakers who write them, and then it gets more complicated when the legislative council goes. You know, it just you know goes through their work and helps with the, and then you get everybody to check and say, well, we got to put this in, got to put this in, got to put this in, and it just gets more convoluted. And obviously, the amendments are not written. You know, when you have a school bond election, mm -hmm. you know, the law says everything has to be presented in a neutral way. You can't present it in a way that sounds like you're for it or want it passed. Amendments can be presented any way the legislature wants them to be presented. So they're presented in a way that makes everything sound beautiful and glittery and glowing so that you'll vote. But you get to that word count and it just gets, you know, you start getting lost in the words. You know, it's funny. Yeah. Did you know that they have these scales uh, that determine the, the readability of something? There's a couple of different scales. Really? And it's funny, like if you look on Ballotpedia, uh, they list these different amendments and they give the scores on these scales for these different constitutional amendments. And Texas is certainly not alone in this. Other states are you know, kind of bad at this too. But uh, the readability scores that some of these amendments this time are getting are just terrible. Uh -huh. I mean, you know, if 100 is like really readable, you know, maybe they're getting like a six. I mean, it's, it's that bad. Or, you know, the grade level that you would have to achieve right. to, to know it would, you know, it's like a 20, you know. So there's that. 
the last time we saw one of these amendments, I think it was in 2019, dealing with lowering property taxes, that one uh, passed, I think it was 85% uh, of people. So that is interesting that that poll shows, you know, support in the 50s. But I'll say this, uh, I, this time lawmakers did make sure they reached out and they told these uh, taxing authorities, hey, go ahead and send those tax bills. We want those tax bills out. We want them out by election day, if, if possible. And we want you to write on there, here's how much you saved because of our property tax cuts. Uh, and and you know, essentially you have this in your mind as you go in to vote on November 7th or in early voting. Does it have a big picture of Paul Bettencourt on it? Or it <laughs> you know, so the thing is, is if this doesn't pass, they say, you know, what do you do then? Because now you've sent me this bill that has this savings. You're going to get a follow-up bill at the end of the year for what you would have saved if voters had, had passed. But like Jason, you said, you asked, you asked who, who writes these, and this is the worry is if you think these are bad, you should look at the laws they pass. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's yeah. passed by the same people who write the law. Um, we're we're only what a third of the way through this, or a quarter of the way through this. But, but let me, we're, we're half out of beer already. Right, so. <laughs> l- l- let me ask you this: the, the, the way to go into the to vote on these fourteen propositions, or any time you have these, is to take a, a little cheat sheet with you, and you can totally do that. Uh, where you study this ahead of time, you don't on paper, study not on your phone, right. not, a, not on anything electronic. Yeah, it's a big and, thing now. And yeah. people people pass the candidates and, and different organizations pass out little uh, cards, uh, little cards on, on how to vote. But that's probably the best way to do this is is research this ahead of time. Don't roll into the voting booth and try to decipher this language. If you, I mean, just think about how slow the voting is. Mm. If people are standing there reading every proposition, this is the longest ballot you ever vote on and the slowest ballot. People will take five, six, seven minutes Mm. to cast votes. And so go and vote early when there's nobody voting. Uh, It won't be, there won't be a heavy turnout, but just, you know, try to go ahead and vote on a on the days when nobody else is voting and take your time. I was going to say the good news here is also the bad news, yeah. uh, and that is with these constitutional amendment elections. Again, you know, so many of these touch your everyday life. They can save you a lot of money. They can spend a lot of your money. They can affect your rights or your neighbor's rights. Uh, yet, you know, the last time around, uh, I think it was one about one and a half million people showed up out of more than 16 million who were registered in Texas. Yeah. The time before that, we had about 2 million out of more than 15 million. So you know, we're talking about a tiny sliver of the electorate that's making big decisions for you and me and everybody else. To, to lock it in. Let's get to Prop 5 here. Uh, this is uh, Representative Greg Bonin from Friendswood down the Houston area. He wants to give other universities money for research besides Texas A&M Network and, and, and UT. A&M and UT have always been able to tap into the Permanent University Fund. You know, it, you know, it starts with Permian Basin oil wealth, a lot of Texas oil wealth. It's been this great invest, investment fund that has really been the springboard for those two systems to grow. But, you know, Texas has seven, eight different university systems. Some of the others didn't have the same kind of endowment or investment money to fall back on. This started as a bill to uh, have a, a investment fund, an endowment fund for the University of Houston and Texas Tech. <laughs> yeah, to have to, uh, for the Cougs and for Tech. Uh, there, during the process, two other universities were added, the University of North Texas and Texas State and San Marcos. So this creates a, a large endowment fund. It doesn't put UH Tech, uh, UNT, and, and Texas State on the same level as A&M and UT, but it gives them a better kickstart in order to be able to grow the universities, grow their systems, promote research, 
and build a, a stronger university system. Bonin is a Republican from the Houston area who, who wrote this essentially, but this is more popular among Democrats. This is more popular among education supporters and, and everybody who, I mean, the, the stuff I've seen promoting this has come, has come from yeah. the higher education community. Of course, you, you look at UNT and Dallas-Fort Worth has, you know, a huge medical school in Fort Worth that I love, law school in Dallas. And so these, these universities all have a big footprint in their communities. Texas Tech goes all over West Texas and, and uh, is, a, is an influence, you know, as close as Fort Worth. Texas State is growing, and, and University of Houston, uh, you know, hugely important downtown. It sure is. Uh, I, uh, I, I'm a graduate of the University of Houston, and uh, th- there is some amazing research that's coming out of some of these universities, but they, you know, again, you know, it's not going to totally level that playing field with UT and A&M, but it's at least going to bring up a lot of these other universities uh, here in the state if this passes. As far as just the money game goes, now the question is, you know, you know do people want to support that? Do they want to do that set aside? That's for each person to to decide individually. The Cougs made the first down too, I'll just say. That was <laughs> they a bad did. call. That was a that was a really sketchy call. That was a BCS call. I love UT though too, you know, so I'm I'm kind of split on that one, but boy, yeah. that was a that was a really nasty one. Uh, let's uh, let's head to Proposition Six here because this one definitely deals with something that uh, affects all of us. It's water uh, and trying to get more of it, especially as Texas keeps on growing and more people keep moving here, Bud. Well, this is a proposal for a billion dollars. I mean, here we are again spending money from the excess in the rainy day fund. Mm-hmm. So we're gonna we've got all this extra money, all this extra wealth. So this is a billion dollars for a, a statewide water plan. Uh, you know, and the only thing that's raised any concern in this plan is that about a quarter of it includes products that involve projects that involve desalinization yeah. and you know, actually taking water out of the sea, water out of uh, Sabine Lake, uh, you know, some of the uh, salt water and trying to make it drinkable. The, the uh, communities really need this, particularly in South Texas. San Antonio has talked about piping in Gulf water, but you get south of San Antonio, get like between Corpus and you get all that territory from Corpus across the Laredo down to the valley. Mm-hmm. It's really dry. They don't have water. If they Corpus, in order for that economy to grow, they need help with the storms. They don't have uh, you know, the business they used to have for Corpus to thrive, for uh, business in South Texas to thrive. They need water, so they need to bring water out of the sea. And there are people who say, you know, if the sea is rising, then let's take water out of it. Mm. But the environmentalists are a little concerned about the impact on coastal wildlife if you start writing desalinization projects. Those are the only people who are really worried, and they're not really against it because they're in favor of all the rest of the money going to the water fund. Well, let's talk about the water fund. We've done podcasts on this in the past, and as Jason mentioned, as North Texas grows, as Southeast Texas, the Houston area grows, and Central Texas as well, we need more water. And there have been forecasts, I think, from the comptroller's office that say that, that North Texas has, what, 30 or 40 years left before we're going to be in a critical situation. How much of this money, this this billion-dollar kickstart, w- would, would lead to that, bud? Am I asking you some stuff you don't know? I think every bit. I think every bit. I looked at the plan, and it looked like every bit of it. They, they were very vague about any specifics. They did not say this lake, that lake, this dam, because nobody— once they start giving specifics, yeah. people are going to say, have, not in yeah, my backyard. Right. Don't tear but, down my family farm and flood exactly, my fields. Yeah, yeah, which you have to, I mean, lakes, you have to have lakes just like you have to have airports. So create the fund now and create then we'll make the, the tough decisions and, after. And have the water, water Development Board make the tough decisions. But all of it is going to the real hardcore needs of water, both uh, uh, North Texas, South Texas, everything west, 
the parts of Texas that don't have reliable. Dallas and Fort Worth, we're going to run short on water, and we have some of the most reliable water supplies in the state. Everybody else is kind of behind us. San Antonio is way behind I was going to say, even if you get the money right now, you're already behind. Right. I mean, we pipe all our water in from Palestine, Corsicana, and, and, and a pipeline from Sabine is next for us. I think Proposition 7 here is also um, yeah. a controversial one because this, of course, anytime you say the word electricity uh, here in Texas, uh, it's controversial now, especially after what happened in that winter storm in 2021. Uh, and this is basically a set aside here to support, you know, construction, maintenance, modernization, uh, operation of uh, electric electric generating facilities. This is essentially setting aside a big chunk of money to help get more gas-powered plants uh, up and running here in Texas. The question is, does it work, though, bud? We've, we've heard from people in the industry who say nobody's going to build another gas plant. Well, we talked over and over about the need for Texas to incentivize building more plants beyond what uh, the business supports beyond the, what regular, uh, you know, profit, you know, I mean, businesses that they need to build plants that don't make a profit just so we have them when we really need them. And that's what this does. It, it, it you know, leads power providers to build that. The big complaints, and, you know, one of the newspapers in the state, the Statesman editorialized against it, you know, the big complaint is that it doesn't put any money into solar and wind. It's solely devoted to, uh, to energy, the, the traditional energy sources, and you know nothing for anybody else, but it does put in money to try to keep us from freezing when all the gas plants freeze. But this is seven billion dollars in, in hopes that companies will come in and say, "Hey, okay, we'll take this loan and, and we'll build a plant that we don't necessarily need to make a profit on every day." Like Jason said, though, maybe they exist, but I don't know of any of these power companies who say we're going to take that money. Yeah, nobody wants to build something that's not profitable in the free market. I mean, power companies are working on a free market basis. So this is, you know, the, the, the lieutenant governor and the sponsors of this bill are going to have to prove that there's a way to make this work and to get us some more uh, power so, plants. So this, e is, this is something that came from the Senate, an right. idea that came from the Senate to, uh, to raise this money. This was actually opposed in the House, and this was pushed hard by the Senate to you know, sink all this money into uh, just laying out basically a big pot of money for energy energy companies to dip into. And even if this passes, Bud, there, there's there's no guarantee that it will actually be used then, right? There's no guarantee it'll be used. Definitely no guarantee that we won't freeze again. Yeah, you know, it's uh, you know maybe it's cynical, but I was uh, talking with the energy fellow there at the University of Houston, another plug there for the alma mater, uh, Ed Hers, and he was basically saying, you know, why would I be incentivized uh, to build another gas plant if I have gas if I have plants now that are producing electricity, and I know that the scarcity that's in this market is continuing, right. and we just went through the summer where we got to these real scarce days where they're asking people to cut back. Well, what happens in those scarcity moments is the power the of electricity shoots through the roof and now I'm making tons of money with the plants I already have. Why would I go build more plants and, and take drive, away that scarcity the price and make down. less money That's right. yeah. and then have to pay for that plant? Yeah, It's it, all for profit and then they don't put any money into uh, you know wind or solar or other sources. It's hard to believe we're only halfway through this at 34 minutes into the podcast. Speed round now all for right, the Here we go, half. bud. <laughs> we're going to fly through the, well, we can <laughs> the do next that. seven. Yeah. Prop 8 is broadband, uh, and, and this is, uh, you know, making sure everyone across the state, kids, elderly, uh, rich, Rural, poor, everyone comes else. Comes out of East Texas, and yeah. this is, you, the two you mentioned are exactly, we need kids, you know, when we were all at home in COVID, yeah. kids in a lot of Texas couldn't have homeschool lessons or home lessons because there was no broadband. I talked to 
a counselor in, in uh, I think it was Coleman, who, who said that she saw these families every day that were just distraught because they had to put their kids in a car and drive 45 miles in the morning to the McDonald's in Brownwood yeah. to sit there and watch school and have them sit there in the parking lot right. all day and drive them back home. So this this brings broadband to to again to parts of the country where the free parts of the state where the free market hasn't brought it. A, a lot of voters in that UH poll uh, say that they will support this. So that looks like that that it will sail to victory with uh, a sizable majority there. And this very much dovetails off the federal legislation. Uh, CARES in, Act? Yeah, uh, well, the, it was the Broadband Equity Access and Deployment Program that was passed by the feds. And basically, this is trying to set up a fund so that you can offer as a state matching funds and get those federal dollars here to build out broadband. Uh, so, you know, it's just kind of dovetailing off of that. Um, no takers for the apple pie beer, guy. Not yet. That's We're only dessert. halfway through, bud. We're only That's halfway later. through. Um, let's do Prop 9. Our producer says save it for him. Yeah. <laughs> Daryl Golden been, wants that one. It's been called for. He's got dibs. Prop 9. Uh, so Prop 9, uh, this one deals with the, uh, uh, the teacher retirement system of Texas. You know, a lot of these uh, teachers who have retired, but they haven't seen raises. Uh, I mean, they've been, you know, getting pension checks, but they haven't seen raises in almost 20 years. And think of what the cost of living and inflation yeah. has done in that period. Basically, what this does is it sets aside some, some money from the general revenue fund so that they can give them raises after all this time. They get from a 2% raise to a 6% raise, which is not nearly enough to cover inflation, but it helps a little bit. And I don't know about you, but every retired teacher that I see or know has been you know sending Facebook messages oh, yeah. or emailing or... You know, they say, please, please, please go vote for Prop 9, mm -hmm. probably more than any other prop on the ballot. Yeah, we, we hear from a lot of retired teachers who have been asking for this session after session after session. So, uh, you know, that's going to have a lot of support, bipartisan support, I would think. Everybody. From both sides. Prop 10, tell us about this. This is a medical equipment exemption from Joan Huffman down in, in Houston. I what, think, what is this? I think this is another Houston proposal. Uh, it, uh, it basically exempts medical equipment from property taxes that if you're uh, you know warehousing storing your medical equipment then you don't get taxed on it like you would for other business property tax the idea in houston is to stimulate funding and in innovation in the medical center the medical center would like to have uh, would like to bring more businesses to houston and have this property tax break to say look if you bring your med, med equipment company here then you you won't pay property tax on it you know it, it came out of houston you know, the complaint against it is that if you start giving this exemption, the and the, the specific Who figure here, and, and this is on the legislative analysis, it leaves a $43 million hole in school funding next year that has to be made up somewhere. In three years, that grows to $60 million, mm -hmm. and I'm not saying schools would lose that. The legislature would just have to find that somewhere else. Mm -hmm. uh, so the, One newspaper editorial board said, what's really in it for the rest of us. Wait, which editorial board was that, bud? That was the Fort Worth Star-Telegram. <laughs> <laughs> Shameless plug here, bud. So Prop 10 is Houston. Prop 11 is El Paso. Uh, this is that El Paso one you were talking yeah, about. Yeah, it's pretty tightly focused El Paso. El Paso is not included in the bill that allows county, counties to set up conservation districts and all kinds of other special El Paso districts. El gets and, left out a lot I know, here and, in and, Texas. You know, and, a lot of people forget about that little, you know, part that overhangs like, out there. Oh, they're yeah. In, they're in another time zone. They're in the mountain time zone. Right. They sort of get cut off like that. I like El Paso. Though. So this so, is sort of bringing that in. So it's like, oh, yeah, we forgot about them. We're going to let them in, too. So mm -hmm. uh, it's another one of those very narrowly crafted bills for one specific 
lo- your location and so is the next proposition. Which segues nicely yeah. into Proposition 12. This is very specific. It only has to do with Galveston County, and it's getting rid of the Office of County Treasurer there. What's going on there, do bud? Do you still, does da- Dallas, do you still have a, well, you don't need a county treasurer. No, Nobody I, I cares. Don't, I don't think yeah, this one. is a constitutional office. So what counties do is they go and get an amendment passed to say, hey, we want to ditch our county treasurer. And what uh, Tarrant County got rid of theirs 30 years ago, the county auditor, who's appointed by the district judges, who's really more protected from political uh, you know, influence. The county auditor does the things the treasurer used to do, look, overlooking mm. the money. It works pretty well. It's just not an elective office anymore. Galveston wanted to take it away. There's been a political battle there. A guy ran against the treasurer saying he wanted to do away with the office. The treasurer argued we got to keep it. The guy wants to do away with it. One. And he, he won, took, and he so won. he wants to get away with yeah, the position he has. Yeah, he wants to do away with it. It happened in Tarrant County, too. And Galveston County says they estimate they'll save $500,000 just by not operating this office, the expense mm. of not just his salary, but the staff, you know, the, the equipment, funding, everything, by not having this this uh, elected right. office. I guess on the flip side there, uh, there in Galveston County and in other places that have, you know, grappled with this is that uh, critics say, well, you know, w- the person who oversees the money should be independent from the commissioner's court and the county judge, and, and, and it should be somebody who's elected and accountable to the voters. Right. Uh, so y- you've got that voice out there as well. But again, the, you know, the county saying, hey, we could save a lot of money by just getting rid of this. And you take, you take control away from the people. And then, of course, the other people who are worried about this are other lower offices on the ballot, your constables mm-hmm. and so forth, who say, well, you know, if you start taking away some offices. The slippery, the slippery slope. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Are they going to start taking us away, too? So Prop 13 is one that I think a lot of people would be interested in going into the 2024 election. This is about mm-hmm. the age of judges in this state. <laughs> and this seems to be narrowly crafted for a purpose, too. For one for one judge? For one, maybe for one judge. This, you know, you can serve... You know, past uh, seventy-five, I guess. Uh, you know, with this, and and so you you know that so happens that Chief Justice Nathan Hecht is seventy-four, yeah. and so I think people want him to to stay in office. Uh, generally, this you know, but uh, people this allows judges to serve five years longer than they do now. But you, on the other hand, you look around. We have presidential candidates right. who are eighty and seventy-seven. We have the Senate leader who's eighty-one, uh, and uh, majority uh, Mitch McConnell. I mean. And so you know, we have all. How do we like that? How's that working out? Uh, yeah, there's the, been a lot of moaning about that. There's at a the lot of complaints, level. but yeah. at the judge, when you get to the bench, do you want your judge to be 77, 78? Right. A lot of judges do a great job. If this doesn't pass, they'll continue to work as retired judges, where they don't have to run for re-election. But this is meant to keep judges on the bench and let them keep running if they're doing a good job, and let the people decide. Uh, uh, let's get to Prop 14 here now, and this has to do with parks, uh, you know, state parks in particular, Bud. Um, this would set aside a, a fair amount of money to uh, what they call create sort of this golden age, a new golden age for state parks. What are your thoughts on that? Well, this is another, you know, uh, spending Robin Hood, uh, not Robin Hood, spending the, the uh, rainy, day. Uh, rainy day fund. Oh, gosh, yeah. not Robin Hood money, spending rainy day money. We have an extra billion dollars for parks we're going to throw around. And this really came into focus with all the Fairfield Lake debacle mm-hmm. and all the debacle and all the, the uh, need for suddenly we didn't know that was just a rented uh, park down there. We thought we were going to Rem- Remind our listeners what yeah, that Fairfield is. Fairfield Lake was a power plant in central Texas that, that the property around the lake was deeded, was, was leased to the state to use as a state park for 
for years, and all of a sudden, and it became the, very popular. Became really popular because with, uh, people who fish, uh, people who yeah. fish, because it's great fishing country, and it's very politically popular because it's in the middle between Houston and DFW. Yeah. So it was a, a really good park to go, not far off the interstate, and convenient for any, anything you wanted to do. Is some place where people could go conveniently from, but then from everywhere. But then the power plant was sold, and the new owners said, "Well, yo, we're booting the." The state out, out, and it's just like everything that happens. You know, you're you're always if you're a renter, you're always at the mercy of your landlord, and so the and so the people you know rose up and were upset. Said, "How do we let this happen?" Right. And the state said, "Well, we're going to create this billion dollar fund to expand state parks." Generally, we uh, we know that with Texas' immense growth, we're obviously supposed to become the number one largest state in America. There's new figures that say that uh, Dallas-Fort Worth will become the largest metro in America mm-hmm. yeah. by the end of the century, and that uh, Houston and Austin will be second and third. And you got to so have that park space. you got to have something green. Yeah. And, you know, in Fort Worth, uh, May, this is a different topic, but Mayor Parker has is, is, uh, ordered uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars devoted to right. a fund to buy up new park space and have new park space in the city. Yeah, she, you know, she everybody ran on that, is, I think, didn't she? She ran on that, and yeah. now the she's you know getting. That's all. I mean, you consider how expensive land is. Yeah, I don't know how much parkland they're going to be able to get, even for a billion right. dollars. That's what I was thinking. You know, how much can you get? You can't get a four sixes ranch. What can you get? Yeah, you know. Yeah. Uh, you think all these are going to pass, bud? I think the all these are going to pass. I mean, you the people have to be really mad and mad enough to. You know, fumble around and find their uh, registration card and figure right. out where to go vote. They have to be really mad to vote against. And there's really not any organized opposition against any of these. No, I have not seen any uh, mailers, ads, uh, you know, action committees, anything opposed. Here, here's one thing we can promise that that the ballot you see on early voting or on November the 7th is not going to be as long as this podcast. Oh, my God. We can promise you that. It might take you as long to get through it, though, if you don't go in there with your little cheat sheet. Again, don't use your phone or electronic device to do it, though. You might set off a few people. Uh, and and don't bring beer, either. <laughs> don't bring a we, beer. We have plenty you could take, plenty of leftover here. Yeah, we have was, it when you we get were still on his first. Have it. Uh, so early voting is underway right now. I think it goes through November 3rd. Uh, so October 23rd yep. to November 3rd. Election day itself is on November 7th. And who knows, you know, maybe we uh, don't have as embarrassing of a showing as we usually have for these constitutional amendment elections uh, because the, the, the numbers are pretty abysmal looking out over history. Go, the reason to go vote, even if you're not sure about these amendments, the reason to go vote is just learn how, make sure you can, Make sure you're still registered. Make sure you're on the list. Go vote now and consider it a dry run for Super Tuesday in March. Learn where to vote, how to vote. Make sure you can vote, and then get ready for the big kahuna in March. Yeah, uh, Super Tuesday is, of course, the, uh, the primary election for Republicans and Democrats going into the 2024 election. And everything is decided in the state of Texas. And that, that is indeed the case. But good insight, good information, as always. We always appreciate the, uh, the, the background on a lot of these things that we always don't have time to research. Thank yeah. you for uh, getting me back yeah. out to Choctaw again. Yeah, yeah th- th- thanks for the beer. Yeah, <laughs> thanks for the smarts today. Thanks for the super smash pumpkin stout. Uh, How was that? It, it was interesting. It's, <laughs> I, I like a good stout every now and then. And uh, you know, next time, though, bud, we're going to have to do some, some brisket. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I could bring some Angelo's ribs, too. <laughs> well, let's go to Angelo's. How about yeah. that? This guy just this, knows. We could get the whole back room at Angelo's and, 
you know, Angelo's, they have a large mug and a small mug of beer when you're ordering your barbecue. And the, the cashier will turn to the bartender and holler whether you want one large or one small. Nothing I'm against Choctaw Stadium, but I'm we're in the wrong place for I'm this. in my I'm 60s. Done. I have never heard anyone order one small. Everyone orders <laughs> Wheeler one hasn't one. been there yet, though, so get, give, him, <laughs> give him an opportunity. So, Bud, uh, as, we, as we go out here, uh, where can people find you to follow you for politics and oh, for thanks. food? Thanks. Yeah, it's StarTelegram.com slash Bud. We'll get you the recent columns slash on, Bud. Uh, on political goings wow, you have on. have your own landing page. Awesome. URL, you, and then huh? StarTelegram.com slash EatsBeat. We'll get you all the news on what's opening and what's new and where to go next on, on the dining scene. So, uh, But you have a huge social media following, too. Tell us you about can, those. Uh, you can follow uh, on uh, on Facebook the dining. There's a Facebook dining guy and then a Facebook Bud Ken for politics and food. And then there's two. There's dual accounts for uh, Bud Kennedy on, on X or Eat Speed on X, and, and you can find me there. Bud Kennedy on Instagram is a food page, too. You're ahead of me. Yeah. I still have trouble calling it X. He, he dominates, though, but in, on Instagram, on X, on Facebook, you're all over the place, Bud. You're, you're, you're putting us to shame. But it's always a pleasure. Thanks, guys. Click subscribe and get Yolitics every week. Yolitics, the unofficial political podcast of Texas.